You may recall last week I made a slight departure from my norm in that I didn't talk about the Torah portion. I didn't talk about the Haftorah portion. I talked about the Rit HaDashah portion. Well, we're doing that again this week. We don't often visit the Brit Hadashah on Shabbat except to hear it read. Now, Aaron read from verse 19 through verse 29 because it's a very quite lengthy parasha or Brit Hadashah portion. I'm going to talk about the entire Brit Hadashah portion, which goes all the way through verse 51. And we'll see how that works out for timing. So the Brit Hadashah portion does come from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, through the end of that particular chapter. In this portion, and this is why I felt led to go this direction, this actually is the beginning of Yeshua's ministry. I think we all understand what his ministry is and was, but this is where things began. So Yochanan the Immerser, John the Baptist, in a figurative sense, passes the torch to Yeshua at this point in this parsha or this reading, which then leads Yeshua to actually reveal who he is. He revealed it not just to his future disciples. He revealed himself to John's disciples. But we'll see in this passage, he also revealed it to John himself. And then he also revealed it to his disciples throughout time, including us here today. So in verses 19 and 20 of John chapter 1, it says, This is John's testimony. When the Judean leaders sent Kohanim and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? I could refer to very various movie references on that, but we won't drag that out too much. But he openly admitted and did not deny. He admitted, I am not the Messiah. But this tells us in these verses that the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem have heard about John and his ministry. They want to know more information about the things he's doing. Now, despite their future actions, which we won't really get much into today, they also would have had an expectation of a coming Messiah. So by sending their envoys... To ask John, who are you? They probably thought he might have been the Messiah, the one that they have been expecting. So then in verse 21, we read, what then? Since he's not the Messiah, okay, they want to know more. Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So once they established that John was not the Messiah, they want to know if he's Elijah, since the Scriptures made it clear to them that God would send Elijah to pave 
the way for Messiah. So, of course, in their minds at this point, that John may be Elijah. Because in Malachi chapter 4, beginning at verse 5, or if the T, you have the TLV, it's verse chapter 3, verse 23. Behold, I am going to send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming and great and terrible day of Adonai. He will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Else I come and strike the land with utter destruction. So I think Malachi is making a very good point that Elijah has to come and reveal Messiah to the people so they can turn their hearts around. Otherwise, they're doomed. Of course, we saw what John's response was. No, I'm not. In Luke chapter 1, Verses 16 and 17, Yeshua says, Many of B'nai Yisrael will turn to Adonai their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient ones to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready for Adonai a prepared people. So even Yeshua is saying that someone, which we find out is actually John, was going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah and not as Elijah himself. Now, some suggest that John didn't even understand that symbolism, that symbolism that equated him with Elijah. He just knew what he was told to do, and so he was doing what God told him to do. He never expected that he would have that same spirit of Elijah, thereby fulfilling the prophecy, not in the person of Elijah, but in the spirit and power of Elijah. Moses speaks in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. Adonai, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brothers. To him you must listen. This is just what you asked of Adonai, your God, in Horeb on the day of the assembly when saying, I cannot continue to hear the voice of Adonai, my God, or see this great fire anymore or I will die. Adonai said to me, they have done well in what they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. Now, whoever does not listen to my words that this prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. So John says he's not Elijah. And now the leaders want to know something else. If if John is this prophet, the prophet that Moses wrote about when God said he would send a prophet like him. Moses indicates in that particular passage that the Jewish people would have an obligation to listen to this coming prophet. So in their minds, maybe John's that prophet. Come on, he's not, we figured out already, he's not Messiah. We figured out he's not Elijah. He must be the prophet that's like Moses. But once again, John tells him, no, I'm not. That leads them to a point of what, I mean, in my mind, I'd probably be frustrated at this point. You're doing these things. You must be one of these people. But you're saying you're not. 
So in John, in the 22nd verse of John chapter 1, it says, So they said to him, Who are you? Give us an answer for those who sent us. Remember we read a few moments ago, it was the Kohanim and Levites that sent them. What do you say about yourself? It's a very important question that we all need to ask ourselves too. What do we say about ourselves in Messiah? But they asked John this. No doubt the Jewish leaders that sent these men were expecting the Messiah. They've been waiting for the Messiah. So that's why they sent their representatives and asked him, number one, are you the Messiah? And if not, are you one of the two prophets who would come before the Messiah to prepare for his arrival? But John has just denied, as we read, being any of them. And these men are probably confused by now. So then they ask him, who are you? What do you say about yourself? In essence, what they're asking is, well, what in the world are you doing here? The 23rd verse, it says, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the day, the way of Adonai, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John, at this point, is quoting something that should be very familiar to them. The prophet Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 3, which actually comes from one of the Haftarot of Consolation, where God speaks to his people and lets them know that he will bring them a restoration of their former glory in the last days. So John is saying, I'm that guy, the one Isaiah was talking about. I'm the one who will prepare the way for the restoration of Israel which I can imagine confused them even more. I can almost picture them frowning, maybe even scratching their heads and saying, hold on a second, okay? You just said you weren't the prophet Moses talked about and you weren't the second coming of Elijah. So what are you talking about? Because we read in the next two verses, verses 24 and 25, Now, those were sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, if you're not Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet, then why are you immersing? So, again, I can kind of sense the frustration in these men at this point. They're they're trying to figure out, okay, you've answered these obvious questions. So here's the more obvious. We want to know, what are you doing here? and What's the meaning of your immersing these people? And John answers them. Verses 26 and 27, I immerse in water. Among you stands one you do not know coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He makes it very clear. Another movie reference. Crystal clear that I'm not the guy you're looking for. I'm here to make preparations for somebody else. Somebody who is much greater than I. He said that this person is one of them. A fellow Jew. He also tells them they don't know him. Because he is not a person of importance in their circle. He's not one of the Pharisees. He's not one of the Kohanim. He's not someone they would be familiar with at all. 
And of course, John isn't even worthy to untie this man's sandals. That's saying something. The fact that he's not a prominent figure, but yet he's so important that John feels unworthy to attend to him. We even have a a record of where all this took place. In verse 28, it says these things happened in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was immersing. And then the next verse is what I call the great reveal. Because the next day, John sees Yeshua coming to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Picture that. John has got groups of people. I don't know if they're lined up or circled around him. However they are arranged, waiting to be immersed. John stops what he's doing. He interrupts these immersions. And he sees Yeshua coming toward them and he announces to the crowd, that is the Messiah and he's here. And he's the one who will make atonement for the sin of the world. Now, this probably came as quite a surprise because as Yeshua approached, John was busy. He was doing things. It it had to be only the Holy Spirit that caused John to look up from what he was doing and see Yeshua coming and interrupts the process that he's going through. Whatever he was saying, whatever he was doing, he stopped and proclaimed that he was here with them. I can almost imagine John was preaching his sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. And right, possibly in mid-speech, he looks up, he sees Yeshua, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, in a Western mindset, especially in this day and time, it could seem odd to think of a Lamb taking away the sin of anything, let alone the whole world. But the New Covenant Scriptures actually build upon and continue what's written in the Tanakh. So if we just look back a little ways to see what's been recorded, it becomes crystal clear. The Tanakh tells us that in order for an individual to atone for any unintentional or accidental sins, they had to bring either a goat or a lamb to the altar. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it foretells of Messiah being led as a lamb to the slaughter. And any Jewish person in that time would have immediately understood what a lamb was used for and that it was used for the sacrificial system in a way that isn't immediately understood in our society today in general. When John speaks of this lamb that would take away the sin of the world, everybody that heard him would have known what he was talking about, that he was talking about atonement. Verse 30 of John chapter 1, it says, This is the one about whom I told you. He who comes after me is above because he was before me. So in other words, John is saying, that's the guy I've been telling you about. He also said Yeshua was before him. But wait a minute. They would have known, as we read and would know, John was older than Yeshua. How could he be have come before him? But this just lets them know 
And it lets us know that John himself acknowledges that the Messiah is pre-existent and that he's also co-eternal with God. So John continues in uh, chapter 1, verse 31 through 34, I didn't know him, but I came immersing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I have seen the Ruach coming down like a dove out of heaven, and it remained on him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to immerse in water said to me, the one on whom you see the Ruach coming down and remaining, this is the one who immerses in the Ruach HaKodesh. And I have seen and testified that this is Ben Elohim, the Son of God. So Yochanan the Immerser, John the Baptist is saying that I didn't know he would be the Messiah. What I did know that I was supposed to immerse people. That was my ministry. That's what I was called to do. And think about it. John would have obviously known Yeshua the person. After all, they were cousins. They grew up together. Probably played stickball out in the field. Who knows? But what he didn't know until this point in time that Yeshua was the Messiah. It was revealed to him at that very moment through the Holy Spirit. He says that God told him how he would know Messiah when he saw him. He said the Holy Spirit was going to come down on Messiah and remain with him. And he finally makes the declaration that this man, Yeshua, is the Son of God. And that he is the one who takes away our sin. He is the one who has been sent by the Father and he is the unique one and only from the Father. So there's something that they share with us. They had this, in, this incomplete and imperfect knowledge of Messiah. Much like how we began our walk in Messiah. But they had the faith that would grow and then it would thrive over time the same as it is with us. I don't know about you, but when I first came to faith the Messiah, I really didn't know who He was. I didn't know the whole scope of what He was going to do, what He did, and what He'll continue to do for us. I've been learning. And so should you be learning. We should all be continuing to learn. Continuing with verses 35 through 39, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and watched Yeshua walking by. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Yeshua. Yeshua turned around and saw them following and he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see, Yeshua tells them. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Notice, John just made this proclamation and this declaration, Behold the Lamb of God, pointing to Yeshua. And here it is the very next day, he is making a point, just like he did tell the crowd the day before, he's making a point to point out Yeshua to his own disciples. And he tells them, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
So either these two disciples weren't with him the day before while he was immersing these people, or they just didn't get it the first time he said it. I'm one of those that doesn't always get it the first time something's said or done. I need a little more. And you may be that way too. These two disciples of John may have been that way. They heard what he said. It didn't penetrate. So the next day he says it again. But sometimes things do need to be repeated before it sinks in. I've told you this once before, but I learned from a previous pastor of ours that a good preacher repeats himself. So I think this indicates that John was not a bad preacher. He repeats himself so people will understand and know what he's talking about. This is the Lamb of God. Yeshua is the Messiah. Then in verse 37, it said that the two disciples, as we just read, leave to follow Yeshua. Now understand something. That's not an insult or rejection of John. It was John's job to prepare the way for Messiah. And it says in chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase while I must, I must decrease. Same with any of us. Once we have shared the gospel, we yield to that power and that authority of Messiah to take over. By way of the Holy Spirit, he takes over. It's not up to us to keep preaching at people, except they don't get it the first time. But once they receive it, the Holy Spirit can take over. It says that when Yeshua saw them following him, it said, what are you looking for? In other words, why are you following me? Of course, they wanted to learn more from Yeshua. They even acknowledge him as teacher, which is what rabbi means. They want to know where he's staying, probably so they can go talk with him at a better time. We might even say something like, can I give you a call? Can I have your number? I want to call you and I have questions for you. But instead of giving them his number to call later, he told them where he was staying. And he invites them to follow him and speak with him right now, which is something we all have the ability to do is have him speak to us right now. Where we are, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, right now. And then they spend the day with him. What a difference we see between those who have ears to hear and those who don't. These two disciples didn't have a perfect knowledge of who Yeshua was. All they knew is that John said he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what they know. They haven't experienced it, but they know that because John told them. So they followed Yeshua to ask questions. And not just to ask, but the most important part was to hear his answers, which is what we all should do when we seek the Father through prayer. I've said this before. You know, he doesn't have an answering machine. He doesn't have voicemail, email, any of that. He's ready to listen and answer right now. But sometimes we get in such a hurry, so we call out, we cry out, we 
put our petitions before God and we say amen and we go about our daily chores without waiting for an answer. It's important to wait to hear the answer to what your question was. It'd be much like your friends, between us even. If I were to ask Ron a question and I walk away, he's answering me, but I'm walking away. That's how we should be with God. We should be asking the question and expecting to hear an answer. See, I don't have the perfect knowledge even now of who Yeshua was when I first heard about him. And I'm sure you didn't either from the beginning. I don't know anybody that has that perfect understanding and knowledge from the start. But we did all come to a point where we take it seriously and we start to ask our own questions and we begin to learn who He is. See, the willingness to seek answers and to carefully listen is a sign of a heart that's been softened by the Holy Spirit. A heart that can be receptive and accepting of the truth of the gospel. Which is what we expect when we speak to others. We hope that their hearts are softened to receive and accept. But sometimes that first time isn't enough. Sometimes we have to repeat again. Behold, the Lamb of God. Continuing from verse 40 through 42, we read, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John speak and followed Yeshua. First, he finds his own brother, Simon, and tells him, we found the Messiah, which is translated anointed one. Andrew brought Simon to Yeshua. Yeshua looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Kepha, which we read as Peter. So, Here's one of the disciples now has been identified to us of John's who went to follow Yeshua, Andrew. He's heard John's teaching about the coming Messiah. So he's heard the teaching about Yeshua and now he's convinced beyond all doubt that he is Messiah. So much so that after he spends the whole day with them hearing the answers to his questions, he goes and gets his brother. And he would become the apostle Peter. And he brings him to Yeshua so he can hear it for himself. See, Andrew didn't rely on just his words speaking to Peter. He took him himself so he could hear it with his own ears. Sometimes we have to see it for ourselves and hear it for ourselves before it starts penetrating our spirits, our very beings. I've harped on this actually for some time now. At least a dozen times. I don't want to exaggerate and say a hundred times. But it's all about relationship. That's what it boils down to. The most effective way to share the good news of Messiah is not by dragging someone kicking and screaming into a synagogue or church. Because that is not going to work. 
It's also not by having your rabbi or pastor call them and talk to them. So don't go bringing me their phone numbers. You have the ability to speak what you know. If they eventually come to me, that's fine. But don't come and say, can you call this guy I was talking to the other day? No, you talk to them. You invite them to come. Then I'll speak to them. It's also not by saying, well, I'll leave this in God's hands. Because of course it's in God's hands. But we are all instruments. We are those people that bring people into God's hands. But what it is, is sharing the gospel one-on-one with someone you already have a relationship with. The people you who know you. The people who trust you. See, there's some people that you know that I can't speak to. Because they don't trust me. They don't know me. They have no relationship with me. But you do. Something else can be done is you can give someone a Bible. You can even point out your favorite verses to them to, for them to read and pray over. Shameless plug for the CDs back there, but you could also give them a CD teaching that's going to speak to them. Where somebody may not read the Bible or they may not listen to everything you're saying, they might pop a CD into their player while they're driving down the road and they'll get the teaching that way. You can even tell them another shameless plug. You can tell them we're on the Internet where they can find some more teaching messages on our website. And not just our website. There are many others that many of you have visited and have heard some of the teachings. Refer people to those things. That's another thing that we can do. They can get that information. They can get that teaching. They can listen to podcasts. And the last thing, which covers everything else, there are many other ways. Be creative. What spoke to you? Drawing you into faith in Messiah. What spoke to you the most? That's what you want to share with others that will help enrich their understanding and enrich their growth. Tell your testimony. That oftentimes is the very trick if you will, that opens your friends and relatives and neighbors' hearts. when they, Especially when they knew who you were and what you were and what you did before. And now you're telling them what happened and that's why you're different? That can speak volumes. God calls and uses all of us for specific purposes. I may not have the same purpose as Batya. I may not have the same purpose as Ron, but each one of us has a purpose. We're called to that purpose. Three, seven people. I'm well, actually six people. I'm going to mention. I can. I could have picked a dozen more. But Noah had a specific purpose. We just read about that about five weeks ago. What was his purpose? His purpose was to build the ark. And in building the ark, he saved his family and all the animals. Abraham had a specific purpose. We just read that over the past several weeks. Moses had a specific purpose in bringing God's spokesman, being God's spokesman rather, before Pharaoh 
and the Israelites. A man who said, I, I, you know, I have this speech impediment. I can't really speak very well. But his purpose was to speak. So he did. John had his specific purpose, like we just pointed out in the past few verses of this particular portion. Peter had a specific purpose. Even the name that he gave him, Kepha, it's the Hebrew word for rock. It comes from the Greek Petros, meaning stone. So he became a rock of strength for some of the early believers. Paul had a specific purpose. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, does that mean that Paul did not witness to his fellow Jews? No. But he had a specific purpose, and that was to reach out to the Gentiles. And like I said, I could have chosen dozens of more. They all had a specific purpose that God appointed to them. Not all of them had the same purpose, just like we don't. So what about you? And what about me? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. So very important question I have for you and for me. Am I, are you, walking worthy of our calling? Are we doing everything he wants us to do, that he's called us to do, that he's instructed us to do? Are we shirking our responsibilities in our calling? I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me. But it's something you need to think about. Am I living up to the calling of God for my life? And moving to verses 43 through 46, the next day Yeshua decided to go to the Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the same town as Andrew and Peter. So what does Philip do? He ignores everything, right? No, he finds Nathaniel and tells him, we found the one that Moses in the Torah and also the prophets wrote about. Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Of course, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything come good come from there? Philip didn't leave it alone. He says to him in response, come and see. That's what we're supposed to do is tell them to come and see. So they don't quite understand when you first share the gospel, but tell them to come and see. Come and see in the word. Come and hear in the messages, in the teachings. Come and listen to other people. Let them share with you. So Yeshua finds a new disciple. And we can see from this meeting that God calls different people in different ways. In this case, Yeshua went straight to him. It wasn't through anyone else. Everyone has a unique calling, a unique purpose. Some are called after many years of praying. Others come to faith quickly because we're all different. 
we learn at different rates, different paces. Well, once we or others become confronted with the gospel, we understand. And that was Philip. Philip finds his friend, Nathaniel. Without hesitation, he goes from meeting Yeshua to running to Nathaniel. And he tells him that Yeshua is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Moses from Deuteronomy 18.18 that says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among them, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. Philip's heart was already prepared because he knew what the Scriptures said. We have to know what the Scriptures say. We can't wing it. We can't fly by the seat of our pants. We need to have proof of what we're saying. So we can't just tell them any little thing that we feel is right. But again, we can tell our testimony. We can share those Scriptures that spoke to us. So this, this, the gospel through the Tanakh had already been sown in his heart because he read and knew what the Tanakh said. He said that the Torah and the prophets spoke about Messiah and that he has come. Not he's still coming. He recognized that he has come. And he is Yeshua. But we, just like Philip, need to know the Scriptures. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that don't need to be ashamed, but that rightly divide the word of truth and impart that word of truth to others. We don't need a perfect theology to become believers of Yeshua. And I don't think any one of us has or had that perfect theology when we first came to faith. That's evidence to us that we don't have to have it because I certainly didn't have it. I still don't have it. There's nothing perfect. Not in me. But we don't have to have that to share the gospel. What we do need, again, is our own testimony. What he has done for us. Now, so the deeper understanding the doctrine, all of that will eventually come as we mature in the faith and as we continue to study and as we continue to receive sound teaching. That's true about all of us. That's true about anyone else that we come in contact with. Then in verses 47 and 48, Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him. He said, look, a true Israelite, there's nothing false in him. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I don't know about you, this would freak me out a little bit. He saw me sitting under the fig tree before Philip even spoke to me? Um, I don't know. But he already knows who Nathaniel is. He already knew who we were. He knows who all of his sheep are. And even though Nathaniel might be a little curious or even a little doubtful at first, he doesn't exhibit any contempt or deceitfulness. But he does say, wait, wait, wait a minute. How do you know me? 
When have we met? And Yeshua looks at Nathanael's heart and understands his intentions. Nathanael is obviously a little startled and surprised that Yeshua knows him even though they have never met. And just like Nathanael, Messiah knows the hearts of all men, all women, including our hearts. In verse 20, uh, 49, it says, Rabbi, Nathanael answered, you are Ben Elohim. You are the king of Israel. Did anybody tell him that other than Philip? But because he realized that Yeshua knows who he is, a person he never met before in the physical, he believes Yeshua. And then he acknowledges that he is the Messiah. Nathaniel calls Yeshua Ben Elohim, the Son of God. Not only that, he says, you are the true King of Israel. Nathaniel realized that Yeshua was the fulfillment of everything that Tanakh spoke about. Finally, verses 50 and 51, it says, Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Yeshua replied to him, You will see greater things than that. And he said, Amen, Amen, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the Son of Man. So Yeshua said, you'll see heaven open. And angels going up to God and down to Messiah. Of course, if you read the Torah portion, you would see he was referring to this vision that Jacob had after he received a blessing from Isaac. In Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. We're not going to read it all. But God revealed who he was to Jacob. He told Jacob he was with him and would continue the covenant he made with Abraham. God told Jacob he would protect him and all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. He assured Jacob that he was with him and would bless the Israelites as he had previously promised. So Yeshua is saying that God is making himself known once again in him and that he is making God known to mankind and that he is bringing a message of hope and he has come to fulfill everything promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Throughout his ministry, Yeshua revealed himself as God. He brings a message of hope, much like he did to Jacob through this vision, this dream. It was about hope that he was promising. It was a message of salvation. Same thing he promised to Jacob. And a message of the fulfillment of everything God had promised to Israel, all the way back to Abraham. Yeshua's ministry was shown. Yeshua's ministry was confirmed. He proved it through his miracles. He proved it through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection and ascension to God the Father. That's the message of salvation. 
That's what Yeshua came to do. That's the revelation of Yeshua's ministry as he began. That's the message we need to carry outside these four walls, as I said, I said many times. That's the message that people need to hear. Maybe they won't respond at first, but that's okay. I didn't respond at first. I struggled for many years with the idea of Yeshua, with the idea of salvation, with the idea of faith in God. Many years. Did I outright reject? Probably pretty close. But at some point, just like I'm sure many of you, I threw up my hands in surrender and I gave in. And I accepted Him. But if we want to see people come to faith in Messiah, it's not going to come through you dragging them in here to hear me. It's by you just sharing one-on-one with those you know, those you love, those that you care about. Again, relationship. We all have relationships with others outside this building. That's the ones we need to reach out to. That's the ones that need to hear the truth. The ones that need to hear the good news. The ones that need to hear what we have experienced and are experiencing. That's the ones that matter. That's the ones that need to draw near to God as we have so that God can draw near to them. Sometimes it's a supernatural revelation. But you know what? That's a little more rare. It's about that one-on-one sharing, that one-on-one speaking to your friends, to your family. I, without going into a lot of detail, I have a younger brother. He was at one time on fire for the Lord. I can remember when I was a teenager, my brother came up in a church that was like this. He tried to beat it over my head. Of course, that caused me to draw away even more. That wasn't the way it was going to work with me. Unfortunately, my brother is no longer walking with God. He's chosen some other outlets, some I won't get into details on. I'm still praying that he will return to his roots. Because when I did come to faith, I remembered some of the things that he tried to beat over my head. Some of those did get in, but he's just not walking in those things that he told me I need to walk in. But again, I didn't make it a complete rejection just because he was beating me over the head with it. But much like we read in the Tanakh, he kept the matter in mind. Guess what? You speak many words to many people that you come into contact with. Trust me. They know what you said. They remember what you said. They may not be able to process it and comprehend it right now, but they remember what you said. And when the time comes, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, will bring it back to their remembrance. They will have an understanding. But it's because the seed was already planted. We need to plant more seeds. If we want to reap, we need to sow. 
So we need to plant those seeds. Reach out. Reach out and share. This is the week leading up to Thanksgiving. What are we thankful for? Well, I can answer that for me in one word. Yeshua. That's what I'm most thankful for. Everything else is great. It's wonderful. But the only thing that really matters is Yeshua. Sometimes you just have to reach out. Reach out to someone that nobody knows but you. I don't have those connections that you have. You don't have the connections that I have. Let's continue to sow for the kingdom that we will become better ambassadors for his kingdom. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and we bless you because Yeshua came to take away our sin. Many of us have different sins in our lives, but it didn't matter. Yeshua died to cover all those sins. Yeshua came to deliver us from all those sins. But we also know that we aren't the only ones that need to hear your gospel. We're not the only ones that need to hear that sound teaching. We have friends, we have family, we have neighbors. We know of those who have slipped away. We know of those that have never been exposed to your gospel. Let us be like Moses became. Not like Moses was when he says, I, I don't speak too well, I can't talk to people. Let us become like the Moses that ended up leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, speaking boldly your word to them, praying for them when you were going to destroy them. Let us be that version of Moses, what I'd like to call Moses 2.0. Let us come out of our shells. Help us to go forth with boldness. The same boldness we just read about. Where as soon as people learned of you, they went and told their brother, their friend, and drew them in. Let us be that. Let us be those people. Let us be those Andrews, those Phillips. And let us be those Nathaniels. That because we know that you know who we are, we know who you are. Because greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. If we have you in us, if we have your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, we have all the power of heaven in us. And that's all the power we need to go forth and sow the seeds that need to be sown. Help us to be those people. Help us to draw people near to you. Not that we're trying to build up our numbers here at Adat Hallel. We don't care where they end up going to be fed. We just want them to go and be fed. We pray that you would open those hearts, open those minds, open those doors. In Yeshua's name, amen.